Hello, and welcome to the Forum on Education Abroad's Storytellers Podcast. This next set of episodes are focused on equity, diversity, and inclusion in the world of education abroad. My name is Ryan Vonderhaar, and I was thrilled to help produce this project. The episodes you're about to hear were developed by members of the Forum's 2021-2022 Inclusive International Engagement Working Group. For more information on this project and all of the other great initiatives and work being done in this realm, please visit forumea.org. We hope that you enjoyed the episode. Hi, and welcome to Global Voices, a podcast from the Forum on Education Abroad focused on topics of justice, diversity, equity, inclusion, and access. My name is Maggie Mahoney, and today I hope to guide us on a conversation on being brave and navigating missteps in global Jedi work. I'm joined today by two really special guests who will talk with me about their experiences with mistakes and missteps and how they seek to be brave in moving the needle forward in inclusion in education abroad. But as we start this conversation, I want to share with all the listeners that I'm by no means an expert in Jedi work in the education abroad field but I am an intentional human. I try to do work that brings about more inclusive, accessible, and just work, working in living spaces. So thank you all for listening, um, and thank you for having this conversation with us. Um, So let's welcome our guests, uh, Kelly Holland and Johnny Zapata. So hi, Kelly. Hi, Maggie. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much. And Johnny, thanks for joining us today. It's my pleasure. Oh, so Kelly, um, why don't we get to know you a second, and then Johnny. Um, so, so Kelly, you're the Vice President for Institutional Partnerships at AIFS Abroad and Global Experiences, and you joined in 2016. Um, and then I also see here that you previously held study abroad leadership roles at Townsend University in Eastern Illinois. Um, where's Townsend? Townsend's in Maryland, just north of Baltimore. Okay, very cool. Yeah. Uh, and you're originally from Pennsylvania. That's up north somewhere, right? Oh, listen to you, Texan. Yes, East Coast native, born and raised. And then you, um, you did your, you had your study abroad experience in college in Spain, and then you've led programs in Nicaragua and London. That's right. Wonderful. So thank you so much for joining us today. And then Johnny, um, let's also welcome Johnny Zapata. Johnny, you're a 2020 Pickering Fellow, and you'll begin working at the U.S. State Department as a Foreign Service Officer this fall. Yeah. Oh, so exciting. Oh, my goodness. Um, You have bachelor's degrees in history, Spanish and political science from the University of Houston. Go Cougs. And you're also um, a recent recipient of your master's degree in international affairs from the Bush School at A&M. So (laughs) thanks and gigam. And Johnny, I know you studied abroad for the first time in 2017 when you participated in a year long exchange in Baku, Azerbaijan. 2016. 2016. That's right. Oh, it's been a long time. Johnny and I, we've known each other for, for quite a long time now. I was your study abroad advisor. You were. <laughs> <laughs> made it happen. I can't believe that. Um, so thank you as well for joining. And, and let me hear a little bit from y'all um, to tell me a little bit more about yourselves. Um, Kelly, what was it like um, studying abroad in Spain from Pennsylvania? Yeah, great question. I mean, very different, right? So I grew up in suburbia and I um, was in, I'm a first-gen college student myself. So my parents were like, you want to do what? (laughs) Uh, My dad is a Vietnam vet. So he had traveled in his lifetime. My mom had never left the States. And so one was 
overly familiar with travel, but not in the study abroad sense. The other was not familiar with travel outside of the US. So big learning curve for us. Um, also the learning curve of living with a host family, which I did not learn until after I returned home was very nerve wracking for my folks. There had been a lot of news out in the world about host families not being the greatest and, and not serving students well. And I really lucked out in that regard. Um, I also thought that I spoke Spanish pretty well <laughs> before me I got there. Mm, well, uh, I certainly got better uh, when I was there. I was in Granada. So I actually studied with AIFS, who I'm now employed by. And I was there for a semester. So living awesome. with the host family, studying Spanish and business. Well, let's talk about that AIFS piece. Um, you know, you've taken the transition from working in higher ed and now going to a provider. Um, what's that change been like in terms of the culture? Yeah, it's pretty fantastic. I would say, so after study abroad, I came back to the States, started to work in higher ed, uh, worked at Lehigh University, which is in Pennsylvania as well. And then I uh, got my master's degree in comparative and international ed at Lehigh University. And once I got started on the university side, I also was intentional in my choices as to where I worked, trying to, you know, see different places, meet different kinds of students, interact with different campuses. If there are small liberal arts or larger state school, commuter schools, more diverse populations. And so moving to the provider side was in line with that, trying on something different I hadn't done before. Global Experiences also specialized in internships, so that was very interesting to me at the time. Yeah. Um, and now I am not quite equal in my career, but almost uh, with the university side and the private side. And it's super interesting. It's very different on both sides and they each have their pros, they each have their challenges, um, but I'm very happy with where I am. Feels very full circle as well to be a student at AIFS and then later on the board with AIFS and now employed by AIFS. So very cool. Awesome. Thank you for sharing and thanks for joining us today. And, you know, Johnny, we just heard a little bit about you. Um, so you were here at the University of Houston. Um, what was a formative part of your time here at UH? So um, I stayed at the University of Houston for five years, so I didn't graduate on time. I decided to stay another year to take advantage of a lot of the resources here, especially um, the mentorship and counseling opportunities available to people seeking to apply to competitive programs such as the Pickering and Wrangell Fellowships and Fulbright. Um, but I think a formative part of my time here at UH was um, the amount of people that I came across that were willing to support me and um, um, you know point me to the resources that were available here and outside of the University of Houston. Um, I too um, am a first generation college student. Um, my my mother studied up to high school and my father studied up to middle school. They're both um, immigrants from Mexico. And so um, it was very daunting to come to the university and kind of figure out a whole system by myself and not knowing anyone in my network or in my circle of family or friends that had done something like that. So um, the most formative part of being at UH was just finding those people that were willing to be in my corner and um, encourage me and cheer me into um, applying for these things that were, you know, huge unknown to me, studying abroad or applying for, for something like a Fulbright or, um, you know, even leaving Houston for the first time as a 19-year-old. <laughs> um, that was very formative. I love that. Those are such big experiences, too. And, you know, you shared a little bit about your family being first-gen. Um, 
Latino or Hispanic? How do you identify? Hispanic. Hispanic. Mexican-American. Mexican American. And so now you're moving into the foreign service, which coming from your background, um, a lot of people see it as incredible. But for you, I see it as, of course, you were doing these amazing things. Um, but tell me, what has it been like joining the foreign service as a first-gen um, Hispanic Mexican-American student from Houston even? Yeah. Um, so I'm joining the foreign service through a very special program, one of the diplomatic fellowships, um, which is a Pickering fellowship. And so um, but these fellowships, both the Pickering and the Rangel Fellowship, seek is seek to do is to diversify, you know, the 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 pool of entering foreign service officers into the State Department. And so um, it's been great going into the State Department through those programs because a lot of the people who are also in my cohort, um, my, co my cohort of fellows, um, share similar backgrounds with me and come from nice. um, all sorts of you know, diverse backgrounds, nationalities, religion, um, geographic diversity, they're from all over the, the country. And so that's been quite a support system there. But um, I recently returned, actually last week, I returned from um, my overseas internship. So one of the components of the fellowship is to do two internships, one domestic um, at state, in the State Department in Washington, D.C., and one abroad at a consular embassy. And so I just returned from my overseas internship in Berlin, Germany, um, and, um, I was probably the only Mexican American or Hispanic American that I ran into at the embassy <laughs> oh, wow. who, of people who were actually working there, like American officers. Um, and it was, it was an interesting experience because, um, I, I told some of my coworkers, sometimes I forget that I'm Mexican American or that I'm from Texas because everyone that I meet is, is white or from the East coast. Um. And, but that was very eye-opening. Um, and it also taught me to look beyond just, you know, race or ethnicity or something that's seen on the outside and um, find other ways to connect with people and find diversity in, 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 in other places. And so yeah. um, I was there um, and serving, working at the, at the embassy. And I learned to kind of say, okay, we're all American. We all have the same the same goal, but still not forget about the fact that there are gaps in terms of um, diversity in the State Department, or just, I was working at the Public Affairs section, and so part of the Public Affairs sections is um, to engage with, with students in, in the local community and also engage populations here in the U.S., and so I always kept that in mind that a lot of the people that we were engaging were not necessarily <laughs> the most um, diverse audiences, the most representative of, of society there, so oh. that was definitely something that I brought to the table as, as a Mexican-American um, intern and future forms yeah wow thank you for sharing that what a great experience um so kelly and johnny today we're talking on global voices about being brave and navigating these missteps that we could take and could make in global jedi work and we know that doing this work increases access and inclusion and that's key in all of our areas but today we're focused on global and ed abroad work um, and in my journey, um, being in, in global ed and in higher ed, I've heard from many folks over the years that oftentimes they're more concerned about making mistakes, or maybe they aren't sure where to start or how to navigate a challenging interaction. And so for this topic, I wanted to invite y'all, two people who I know could be open and authentic in this with me. Um, we know that trust is important and having an honest conversation about Jedi work 
because in a space of trust, you get to be brave and ultimately work through those missteps. You know, Johnny, I definitely have seen us have moments of growth together um, and pushing you in those applications and working together on getting you abroad and, and working with your family to go abroad. And Kelly, I could not have navigated supervising during a pandemic without you. Um, so I'm, I'm so glad that y'all could join me here today. And that's why I turned to y'all. So let's talk about um, the fears, the mistakes, and the growth that we're doing and experiencing in our JEDI work in global ed. So we're gonna first start talking about our fears in this. Um, so why don't we kind of dig into that if we're ready? Ready? <laughs> Let's go. Awesome. Um, so Kelly, I'm gonna start with you. Um, and I mentioned, you know, supervising during a pandemic and you being very good at it now. <laughs> That's what that's what I feel like we've had so much growth in this. All right, great. So Kelly, as a supervisor and with an extensive history in higher ed and ed abroad, um, what do you think some of the fears are for professionals in international education and doing DEI work? And how come? Why? Well, right now it feels like we're afraid of all kinds of things, right? <laughs> right. Uh, I, I appreciate this idea of being brave. Um, we've been using that at AIFS as well. Uh, and trying to think about what is required just to get through the day, let alone through DEI or Jedi work. Um, I think the things that we're afraid of, I've, we think of things like as a supervisor. I have people that report to me, people that I'm responsible for. Um, I consider myself a mentor, someone who should and could facilitate tough conversations. Um, DEI conversations aren't always easy. Um, I am a white female, so I have a limited perspective, and that can be really interesting. And when faced with fear, I guess the things that I think others might be nervous about, they don't want to mess up, right? They yeah. don't want to misspeak. They don't want to say something to offend. They don't want to cause offense. But I think a lot of what helps us in international ed is the fact that at our very core, the majority of us are learners, right? We are practitioners. We know that we have to face what we're afraid of in order to move forward. So even if we have some time where we maybe are sitting in a conversation or a presentation or a meeting and we choose to stay silent or we choose to observe rather than speak up, we're still learning. But maybe there are some days where we feel more brave or more courageous where we would speak up in a meeting, whether that's to call everybody in. You know, I love this, this verbal decision to call people in rather than to call people out. Oh, I very... love that. Oh, that's so helpful. Yes. I, yeah. I've heard that, I guess, just recently, probably in the past year or so. Uh, we have a really amazing and wonderful new director of inclusion initiatives who I've been having these conversations with as well. Yeah. And that is something she uses at the beginning of presentations. She says, that's what we're here to do. We're here to call people into the conversation, invite them in, be open, be welcome, not to call them out for making mistakes or for messing up. Wow, I, I love that. You know, even putting this podcast together today, I was thinking about the acronym that I use. Is it DEI? Is it JEDI? Is it um, with an A? And and really the intention is to, and so if someone would rather approach it with a different acronym or adding in a word or however we can do that, I love that we can call into that rather than saying, why didn't you do it this way? And I think with that kind of approach um, of intentional inclusion, but but you know, that we're we're authentically trying to do the do good work here, all oh, that's so helpful and even empower me to use an acronym. I love that. Um, so Johnny, you know, 
have you ever noticed that folks around you have messed up their own efforts in being inclusive towards you or making sure that you're included or that you get um, the support that you're needing? Um, but they mess it up because they're worried that they aren't going to say the right thing at all. So maybe they just dodge around, you know, what is your ethnicity or um, what's your family status like? Or, um, you know, what's your experience and your background been? Maybe they just don't want to ask because they don't want to say it the wrong way, you know, instead of being brave and saying the, the questions that they really want to get to so that they can give you more resources or support. Yeah, um, thankfully, that, does, that hasn't necessarily been my experience here at the University, university of Houston. I've worked with, with great advisors um, here at the university that are used to having. Um, <laughs> You're not just at UH anymore. So but, but yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Great advisors everywhere. <laughs> um, but I did have this one experience when I began working, when I was applying for the Fulbright and I began working with um, an advisor at um, my university. Um, he was a, a white male from the Northeast. And um, in that first introductory session, kind of getting um, started on what my motivation for applying to the Fulbright was and what my background was, I, I could notice some hesitation when it came to, to asking questions about my background or where I came from or my family history or, or you know. Um, and thankfully, as, as someone who has been through this and has worked with, with advisors, I felt very open about um, speaking about that part, that personal part of myself. Um, yeah. But I can understand how for a lot of students, including for me, the first time that I went through this with with Maggie, um, it was quite a it was quite a emotional experience. Yeah, vulnerable um, and yeah, yeah. And many times I felt that I left um, my advising meetings with Maggie. And it felt like I had left like the therapist's office just because a lot <laughs> of the ground that we covered in terms of my identity, my background, and kind of discovering that. Um, my background is something that's very important, and it's very important in terms of contributing to, to you know, education abroad and um, having something to bring to these programs. Um, I think being from Houston, where like over 40% of the population have a similar background as me, and those numbers probably increased to the majority of the population under 18th, or just a youth population, um, I never felt like my background was anything special yeah. or anything that could contribute something to, to an institution, to a program. Um, and um, yeah, we had to work really hard yeah. on those applications at the beginning uh, and find a good space of, of trust and comfort to really bring that out and talk about it. Uh, yeah. And I had to find ways to ask about it in the right ways. And I think that together we were able to work together on that and, and kind of both navigate it from our different perspectives at the same time. And I'm so thankful that we did. Yeah. I agree, but but yeah, definitely, I haven't had any issues in, in that end, but there are very difficult conversations that need to be had sometimes with, with students and people who work in um, global ed, and um, we need more people that are willing to, to have those difficult conversations, and I think that there is a lack of that in, in certain spaces. How did you how did you perceive that advisor, that white male advisor that was helping you with that fellowship application whenever they were tentative? Like how did that come off to you? Um it came off as very untrustworthy. Like um eventually I developed a, a pretty close relationship with this one advisor, but those first couple of meetings were very um difficult because I felt like 
yeah. I couldn't open up and the conversation didn't necessarily feel genuine like they had when with with other advisors in the past. And so it took a lot of work. It took probably several advising sessions to for me to open up and feel comfortable speaking about my experiences and my background with him. And I think a lot of it can also be, you know, a lot of the things that I see on the outside and my own biases that I have um, factoring into, into that equation. But um, yeah, at first it didn't feel very genuine necessarily. Um, yeah, and it's kind of hard to set that up quickly with somebody that you don't know, somebody that looks different from you, or maybe that's at a power differential. I, I agree, and I can see how a student can be turned off by that. If this is your first evaluating session and you're looking to study abroad or apply for, for a Fulbright or another um, competitive program, I can see how if that first interaction with, with that um, advisor is, is not done properly, it can, it can turn off the student and maybe become an intimidating experience. And I can see how a lot of students who aren't necessarily used to or comfortable having those conversations with, with perhaps a, you know, a white male or someone who's from a different background as them can, can, you know, yeah. say that this is not for me yeah. and just, um, you know, and you keep on talking about doing the work. So Kelly and Johnny, this is kind of for both of y'all of doing this work to move past the fears. You know, I, I love the word intentional. It's probably one of my favorite words. And how do we how do we get intentional about moving past this fear? What is that work that we do? Do you have any thoughts? Sure. I would say that probably one of the biggest things for me that I noticed that feels, I should say, initially felt small, but in fact has a very large impact is vocabulary. Yeah. So I am a big reader, I love words. Communication is one of my strengths. And I'll give you a recent example. When uh, working on a list of staff at AIFS, working through contact information, things like that, we also added responsibilities. And one of the things that I do in university relations is manage a team of folks who have regions throughout the US. And what I wrote as their, you know, quick one-liner description was using the word oversee. Oh. And that came up in an email and someone said, hey, you may not want to use oversee because it does actually have connotations back into the times of slavery, you know, an overseer on a plantation. And I thought, oh my God, I <laughs> never, yeah. never would have gone that way immediately go back into the document and think, okay, oversee, maintain, manage, facilitate, you know, here I am synonyms out yeah. the wazoo. And I thought, why the heck did I choose oversee? But to me, that's not a mistake, right? Mm -hmm. That's, that's me doing something and then having someone just give me the tiniest nudge about verbiage yeah. and think, okay, well, I should be careful about what I say. Yeah. And at AIFS, we have been working on our aid plan and so for us, we use AIDE, so Access, yeah. Inclusion, Diversity, Equity. Mm -hmm. And we have conversations like this often. And vocabulary comes up a lot. Yeah. And not just things where we're maybe assuming pronouns or assuming background or experience or things like that, but things like that, verbs, adjectives, um, where we might either make assumptions or just this is our default things that we use and then thinking. So yeah. later on in a Zoom call with a, a large team, probably 30 or 40 of us, I said oversee. And I stopped myself in the middle of the call. And I said, actually, I'm going to use another word. I've been trying to work on that. Because for me, 
as a supervisor, as someone in leadership at my organization, it's really important to model behavior, right? And so I think I also like when somebody on the flip side maybe makes a suggestion to me, maybe in the moment, if it seems appropriate, or directly after, right? So let's say that I had gone through the meeting and used the word oversee in a conversation and no one stopped me. We went on our merry way, we finished the agenda, we closed out. Then maybe I get an email or a chat from someone that says, hey, I didn't wanna call you out in the meeting, but I heard you use this word. And I thought that maybe you could use something else and here's why. Right. So having the context to me is also very meaningful and it will stick with me. So now every time I go to type that word, I back right up and then try to do something else instead. And it stays with me. So I think as much as we have those fears, those mistakes that we're worried about when they do happen, they kind of happen for a reason. Right. So now I'm kind of recharting some of my vocabulary in different ways. Look at that intentionality and and the the concept right there and practice of being called in instead of called out because so many folks can get lit up by language correction and oh well I'm you know I didn't mean to do it wrong or why do we have to say it this way or we you know it's not been an issue and um, you know I think about a lot of folks that I interact with here in the state of Texas um, who have different perspectives than I do that that kind of incendiary reaction that you can get. Um, you know, I think that calling in and pointing out that folks from different perspectives would see it that way, and there's the context can be super helpful. And I just I really appreciate that because there's fears of it, but being open to doing better work, I think, is was what the foundation of your story there is. I want to do better, and okay, here's a moment of it, and I'm called into to continue moving the needle forward. Oh, that's so great. And also the importance of just taking a beat, you know. You don't, you don't always have to rush to defend yourself or rush to correct yourself. Or, you know, Johnny mentioned being in an advising situation. We're humans, right? So it's also a little bit of grace. It's this idea that, oh, I shouldn't have said that. Or, oh, maybe, you know, I misunderstood something or I misspoke. Mm -hmm. We'll just ask, right? So whatever you're going to do with that pause that you take, either rethink what you just did reset if you feel like you want to, or I don't know about apologize, right? We have a a policy in my household where instead of sorry, we say thank you. So we try to reframe, you know, so, oh, Johnny, I'm sorry. I said that I didn't mean to offend. I would say, Johnny, thank you for understanding that I'm learning as we go here. So what would you prefer to say, or what would you prefer to use? Or do you have a suggestion for me? Something like that, right? But the, that whole take a second, whatever you do with that second, as long as you can take it, I think that that is an important step. And it's hard. It's hard work. It's not easy. Definitely. Well, I love this. We're talking about mistakes. So let's move on to this second part of what we're talking about today, which is common mistakes in doing Jedi work. And I want to talk to Johnny first here. So Johnny um, is a Hispanic first gen student. Um, what are some of your experiences where people have made mistakes you know, either to you or around you or where you've been excluded or marginalized? Um, And how was that? How did you navigate that from your perspective? You know, you once told me this great story and you, you said that growing up here in Houston and some of your schools, you, you noticed that teachers from white backgrounds treated y'all differently. And I say y'all as other students like you. Um, And that, that made a big impact on you. Yeah, um, 
I, <laughs> I agree. Um, I think my, my experiences lately have been very good and I've been able to you know, advocate for myself and kind of identify when these situations happen. But early on, um, I did have a lot of these experiences, like you mentioned, where um, teachers, it seemed like I, I was always a very smart and good student and had very good relations with teachers. And so in, in some ways that kind of shielded me from, from that, but I would notice how some teachers would speak about other students who were friends or classmates or even my my own twin brother that belonged to these like on level classes in the way that they um, just characterize them as um, students that were going nowhere were just there because they needed to be educated. Um, and but even even going into higher education, um, I there there were moments where I felt like oh maybe not necessarily a, a person. Or something but just uh, an institution or uh, an organization just felt like very exclusive in a place that didn't necessarily make me feel comfortable yeah um, especially during my graduate education um, I went to a university that um, is not very representative of the demographics of the state of Texas which is Texas A&M University had a great experience there but um, in many ways it's still a very wide space and um, one of the things that disappointed me a lot about the university is that despite being an institution that serves the state of Texas, it does not reflect the diversity and the, the beauty and the diversity that is present here in the state of Texas. And so many times it was difficult for me to enter a classroom or a meeting and, you know, look around and, and think, where, where's everyone else? Um, being the, the, the one Mexican-American or the one person of color in a, in a classroom in a state that's, you know, 40% Mexican-American and, um, you know, majority minority state. Um, and that was very over overwhelming sometimes. And it made it difficult for me to um, speak up mm -hmm. and feel comfortable. Um, and I think that's something that, that really stays with you and kind of shapes the way that you view yourself in terms of not just your identity, but also power dynamics. And sometimes that, that, that keeps you from 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 speaking up or advocating for yourself or for seeking other opportunities if if those opportunities will take you to a place where you don't necessarily feel welcome or feel um, represented or um, just um, comfortable enough in your own skin. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. You know, it and it's it's challenging. It's it's so many things that I don't even fully grasp of, of being the one on the receiving end of the mistakes. And in this case, it's systemic, um, which in all cases, isn't it always systemic <laughs> from many perspectives? Um, and so, you know, it's, it's hard to be on that end of it. Um, but I, I really admire that you are working towards getting into a system where you can bring additional visibility to it. Um, yeah. Being on the receiving end of a mistake is just, so challenging and and it is important i think that um as we're doing this work that we um hear that part of the story so that we know why we're doing the work and so that we can keep on pushing the needle forward and us doing better individually and us and us getting into spaces where we can change the system um, where we can make the system more inclusive where we can be more intentional about diversifying the spaces that we're in and why it matters so much because it's so easy for these um, spaces to not be shown up by folks from diverse backgrounds because it's just too much at times like you just shared.
so, you know, mistakes are definitely challenging on that end. Um, Kelly, let's talk with you. What mistakes would you like to share that you've made as a as an ed abroad professional and, and how were they pointed out to you? And you just shared a really great one. Um, but is there- That one is, that one's top of mind because it's recent. Yeah. So I thought about that one when you first asked. Mm -hmm. I think that some of it, even if it's not something as easy to pinpoint as that, right? I said a word that maybe was not well-received, so that sticks with me as a mistake. Some of it is probably a gap in knowledge or a gap in thinking deeper about something, right? Mm -hmm. So what I mean by that is recently, um, I was engaged in some webinar work with colleagues at AIFS, and one of the things we wanted to do is kind of focus on what's your why, right? So when it comes to aid work, why are you doing it? What is the motivation? What brings you to it? You know, why, why do you do it? Why do you think about it when you go to work? Mm -hmm. um, the other piece of it is this idea that I originally started with a few years ago, which was thinking about aid work as something extra that was required of me or expected of me and not something that I did by default. Mm -hmm. So when I first started working on it, it was, oh, and I should also do something related to aid today or this week or this month and adding it as a project, a goal, a to-do list item. And that's kind of how my brain works, right? I'm strategic, I'm a list maker, that's what I do. And it took several years for me and several colleagues for me to understand that in fact, for aid to work has to be integrated. It has to be part of my everyday, part of my emails, my actions, my activities, my language, and something that I consciously think about. It also kind of shifted the workload for me as well, because you know what it's like when you have a to-do list that's packed and you think, oh my God, I'm never gonna get to this today, this week, this month, whatever it is, I'm working on so many things. But in reality, if it's something that you're doing every day, eventually it becomes subconsciously something that you're working on. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean you pay attention to it less. It's just kind of like my attention has shifted. So where I previously would have addressed it as something to do, now I try to incorporate it into something I am doing actively. I love that. That's, that's so, I love that. That's so helpful in how we kind of look at the mistakes that we can make from this and um, how to put into practice kind of moving past those mistakes. And, you know, I think that it can be challenging because we have such, you know, heavy to-do lists and so many tasks to take on. Um, and I and I think at the beginning of this in the field, at least, um, it was an additional thing that we added on, a collateral, an extra piece of what we're working on. But being able to weave it through, I think is very helpful. And even in my own personal growth, professionally, I should say, um, I'm seeing how this can fit into so many parts of what we do. You know, of course you can approach it from the programming and the cultural piece um, of, of sharing about people's backgrounds and, and sharing about DEI areas and looking at trainings. Um, but I'm looking at DEI work recently from like a space of um, changing our processes and making sure that they are intentionally inclusive. And I've been able to now in this new role that I'm in, um, 
build it into our hiring practices, look at the way that we are sharing out reports. Um, how are we um, working with university marketing to make sure that we are representative um, in so many different ways, um, not just from the pictures that are on our websites, but the way that we write those um, press releases and who they're sent out to and how the students are followed up with. And so I, I'm excited to be able to do that and um, and to, to move past that. But you know, as we think about making these mistakes and how we can move past them, I wanna talk about an experience that I had and kind of break it down with you, Kelly. Um, this past semester, I've been able to be on um, a special working group um, with another organization where we were focused on DEI efforts um, and how to integrate global ed, higher, um, so ed abroad and global education, international education with DEI efforts. And I got put on a, a small working group with that. And it was myself and four other white women on this small working group. And it was so enlightening to me um, to be able to be in a space where I knew that I could talk about it. And as soon as we got into this um, breakout Zoom room, because that's all we're in these days, is, um, you know, we started talking and introducing ourselves. And, you know, I, I like to talk a bit. And I sure did ask, guys, do y'all think it's, um, ladies, I should say, do y'all think it's funny that we're all white women in this group and the rest of the groups are moderately diverse? And, they were like, oh, I, I guess I didn't really notice um, was a little bit of the reaction there. And um, and so we got to talking about that and being a space of white women. Um, I feel like we shared a couple of questions and mistakes and um, opportunities to grow from that that I don't think we would have had otherwise. And it made me both encouraged and a little sad <laughs> because we're afraid to make those mistakes. Um, and some of the some of the group shared how do y'all navigate X Y Z and how could I do this in a different way or um, you know I didn't say anything because I wasn't sure how to say it and those were some of the responses that I got um, in the group as we were talking through some of this um, and I do I do recognize that in my professional past I've had kind of some of those moments of trepidation as well and you know Kelly have you I don't know if you've ever I'm sure that you've thought about that a little bit in your professional career and kind of figuring out, because we are such a field of white women, it feels. Yes. <laughs> yes. My Zoom rooms look like your Zoom rooms, Maggie. Yeah. Um, it is so true. And I, I think this is another space for growth. And this is another bit of calling people in and not calling people out. Mm -hmm. Right. So because we are so flush with white women in the field of international education at varying levels at the advising level, the managing level, the executive level or everywhere. And when we get into those conversations and spaces, mm -hmm. it should help us realize that we need more perspectives in the conversation, but it also should make us realize that it doesn't mean we can't do the work just mm -hmm. because we are all white women. yeah. So even if we're consciously thinking of it and encouraging each other, and I think it even in those spaces where everyone looks like me, I still need to be brave. Mm -hmm. There are situations where they're not easy to navigate and they're uncomfortable and we're only gonna get better if we talk through it. And some people are internal processors, right? So they may not want to talk in the moment, 
But if that conversation can be continued in a safe space, maybe they'll talk about it later or in an email rather than on the phone or in a Zoom room. And so I think it's important that even when we find ourselves in those spaces where, you know, we all look the same or it's an echo chamber and we all think the same things and, oh, isn't this terrible and what could we do? It's focusing a little bit more on that. Well, what can we do? Yeah. Not the group think of, oh, I wish we could have done something more. I just wasn't sure. It's to be brave and to make those mistakes. And, you know, let's step into this and I'd rather take a misstep than not make a mistake. I would for much sure. I would and helping that. people, I guess, realize that, that that's possible and, and that's okay. I think a lot of, um, actually, Johnny, when you said earlier that an advising session felt a little bit like therapy, <laughs> uh, I think especially pandemic and whatever stage we're in now, uh, a lot of our conversations are like that. And I kind of like that. I think it's, it's human. Um, it's us as individuals. It's people trying to be real with each other because a lot of what we do takes us to different places and in front of different people. That's the whole point of, of international education and being abroad and doing something different is meeting different people, doing different things in different places, kind of opening our minds. But on our side, administratively, we get so busy sending out other people to do that. We don't continuously have those benefits to be out facing it like we did when we were studying abroad. So it's a little bit of us putting ourselves in your shoes doing amazing things and constantly being given new information and, and new people. I love that. I would like to add something. I think this this conversation has been very eye-opening for, for me. I don't work in the field of um, international ed. I'm certainly not white or a woman. Um, <laughs> so, but I, I've never had these conversations, even with, with some of my white friends, um, just the idea of, of being afraid of making a misstep or saying the wrong thing. And I think I think that that fear is, is something that's that's very real. But from my experience with with um, people who do work in the field of um, global ed, um, it, it has felt that every time that I speak to someone, they are like um, I think Kelly mentioned earlier, they are authentically trying to do to do good work and have a positive impact in in people's lives. And I think as someone who who was a student and uh, of a diverse background, um, I think um, we we can use all the allies that, that we we can have, and I think sometimes being afraid of making those missteps and or not speaking up because of that fear, I think in many ways um, is a disservice to 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 students like me um, who could benefit from having those conversations, or could benefit from being targeted. Um, so I, I think that as long as, as someone is trying to do the good work and um, it, it can be beneficial, even like you mentioned, we're human and we make mistakes, we say the wrong things or, mm -hmm. um, but I think as long as, as the goal is, is good and is being targeted toward an audience that could really use that, that support, I think, um, go, go ahead. I love that. Yeah, I just wonder how the stars aligned that day whenever I first advised you and met you and um, you gave me space and grace to be able to make some missteps. Uh, and I know that I have. I remember even a couple of the things that even now, back in 2015 and 2016, that I said that I wished I would have phrased differently. It's so funny that I still can remember a couple of those things, um, whether it be about your, your family background or... <laughs> you know, anything that I just, I'm just really thankful that we found that right kind of advising 
connection that we could work together on supporting you. Um, and you helped me grow more than you know. Um, and I and I don't think that I share that enough with you. Because uh, I know that, you know, we, I've written a lot of rec letters for you over the years, but <laughs> you as well for me. And and I'm I'm really thankful for that kind of mentee relationship, mentor-mentee relationship that this has been. Because I think that if you can learn from others and, and continue to grow, uh, I think that's really what all of this takes. You know, that's kind of the last part about this is growing from your missteps. And um, Kelly, you had, you had talked to me earlier about talking about this and reframing it. I think growing from these mistakes, it's really helpful in reframing it from mistake to misstep. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about why that intentional language is kind of so helpful and important in this. There's me being a language nerd again, right? Here comes the vocabulary. So when we were originally thinking about this and even just thinking about the title of this session, I thought, you know, mistake is negative. It carries this negative connotation. You have screwed up. You did it wrong. It's a black mark on your record. Whatever it is, doesn't look good. A misstep to me makes me think about a path, right? I'm on a journey. I'm on, I'm traveling somewhere and I've done something and I've gone sideways for whatever the reason may be. The wind is really terrible you know, my flight got canceled, I got COVID, whatever the case may be, and I've misstepped. I'm not going in the direction that I planned for myself. So on one hand, this insinuates that we've planned, right? Mm -hmm. I appreciate, Johnny, what you said about, you know, if we're going somewhere with good intentions, right, that, that matters a lot. What we're doing and, and trying to travel toward a place of ultimately being kind to each other, being good humans, treating each other well, the way we'd like to be treated ourselves, then is it really a mistake or is it a misstep? You know, thinking, thinking about, okay, well, if I've gone sideways, did I learn something while I took this little detour that I didn't mean to be on? Or did I really screw up? And if I really screwed up, I've got more to think about. So if these are missteps, whether they be in language or action, um, I like to think, I hope, <laughs> that the majority of us, particularly those of us that are working in international education, are good people, and we're trying to do our best. And kind of at the end of the day, that's all you can do. Uh, you know, we've talked about managing during a pandemic and just trying to do the day-to-day -day and, like, live our lives, and that's hard enough. So I think if we do our best, then at the end of the day, if we look back and we say, you know, I really could have done that differently. I think it's interesting, Maggie, to hear you say, you can think about when you two first met and you're thinking about like, oh, I mm, <laughs> didn't love some things that I said, but the other part of this is letting it go, right? Mm -hmm. So it's recognizing like I did a thing, but mm -hmm. that was also however many years ago and I've learned a lot and you two are still sitting at a table with each other today. Absolutely. So, you know, and, and I remember even coming back to Johnny, like a, a following advising session and saying, I think I could have said this differently. Um, I don't think this was the best. And finally figuring out how to own those missteps and sharing it with him to continue establishing that level of trust of, I don't mean to be this way. It definitely came out this way. And, and intent versus impact, we all know that it still does make an impact and it can be a truly negative one. Um, but we can work towards rectifying that. And I, I don't think that all is lost when the intention is there um, of, of trying to do that, that good work there. Well, and you called him in, 
right? So you, you <laughs> yourself thought about something and then you thought, you know what, I'm just going to shoot Johnny an email and just have a chat about this and let him know. And Johnny, you mentioned that it's interesting to hear us unpack some of our fears and some of our mistakes. And so imagine if more of us had more of those conversations and we were just open with each other about this happened. I don't love it. This is kind of gross. What do you think about this? What do you, what would you have done this whole idea of putting ourselves in each other's shoes to the extent that we can, we'd be in a very different place because we would all be learning together. So I think that's the other thing, right? Is to not go it alone. It's to hook up with people that don't have your perspective or your background. And that's what study abroad does. Definitely. I love that. You know, I, I, I'm thinking back to a conversation I had um, earlier last year and I, I had a Zoom call for half an hour. I got to do an informational interview with a vice president of DEI at a large corporation. Um, and I wanted to know more about her experiences um, using culture and using um, cultural intelligence in doing DEI work because uh, it was part of my research interests. And I had such a great conversation with her on how you can use your cultural awareness and your cultural intelligence so much of what we teach here and what we seek to learn here in, in global ed and, in, and um, at abroad. And so we had a great conversation, but man, she really pushed me and I wanted to share that. You know, she said, yes, we want to do the right thing, um, but make sure that you're always pushing yourself because it's easy to say that you are trying, but you don't miss the mark. You don't make the mark or you miss the mark, but you, you can do more and you can keep on trying and you can, you can try harder. And, and I think that's also something that's important is that. I don't want me trying to just let it be it. Um, I want to keep on doing good work and have there be results of that. And and so I, I kind of balance that being brave and trying and showing up with with trying to really get tangible results, if that makes sense. But here's the other thing is as humans, especially millennials, as we are, yeah. you and I, uh, <laughs> we're hungry for feedback. And I think there's also in this space, mm -hmm. you may not get it. Oh. It may be that you've, you could have- Often don't get it. Right, you've, you've yeah. done something and then you think, you know what, I'm gonna fix this. And maybe you put an email out into the ether or you say something additional and nothing else gets done and nothing else is said. And you're gonna wonder about it for the next however long you hold on to it. But <laughs> sometimes we don't get feedback. And mm -hmm. I know for myself, I love feedback. It's how I learn as well. So then it's, well, what else? And do you know if you've tried it once, does that mean it didn't work because you didn't get feedback? Not necessarily, mm -hmm. but you can try and try again. And, you know, you may yeah. not always get that concrete feedback that you're looking for. And that's okay too. Yeah, what a good perspective on this. So being bold, being brave and, and making these mistakes and doing DEI work in international ed, um, I'm curious from the both of you and whichever one of you would like to go first, what is some advice that you would give um, to some of those in the international ed space on how to be brave and doing DEI work? So Johnny, from a student perspective and, and Kelly, from a professional perspective, what would you say as a, as a nice big nugget of advice? I can go first. <laughs> um, I'd like to add to what Kelly was saying, just challenge yourself to to have those conversations and to also um, reach out to those students. I think one of the, one of the things that I've learned as well um, 
because I also interact with people from different backgrounds that are not Mexican-American, that are not of the same religion as me or from the same state or from the same socioeconomic background. One of the things that I've learned is that that even within diversity, there's diversity and there's so much intersectionality. And um, as people who work in the in the global ed um, area, I think it's it's good to keep in mind that there are so many layers. It's not just the exterior of a student or, you know, it's not just down to race or ethnicity. There's also things like, um, you know, gender identity, sexual orientation, religion, um, place of origin, um, whether you're first gen or not, whether you're low income or not, um, what part of town you grew up in, what part of the US you grew up in, your culture, um, what are some of the, um, you know, influences that you've had growing up, um, that really ties into a lot of, of things. Um, and um, keeping those things in mind also um, make for, for a better experience as a student. Um, I think one of the challenges for me when I was growing up, um, or sorry, not when I was growing up, when, when I was going through this journey of, of going abroad and seeking these international opportunities, a lot of it was my um, economic background or my parents able to afford this? How was I gonna pay for this? And then another thing was also <laughs> my culture and just being a very strong family oriented culture and um, someone who's very close to his parents um, and also my religious background. Um, um, I'm Mexican American, but I'm not Catholic. Um, I uh, um, you know, grew up evangelical and very close to the church and, and very practicing. And so that was something that was very important to me being able to, to continue practicing my faith, regardless of, of where I went abroad or just um, meeting with someone who not necessarily shared the same faith, but understood my background and understood some of my values when it came to um, to going abroad and taking part of these experiences. So um, there's just a, a lot of things to, to take into consideration beyond um, a student's um, race or ethnicity or gender. Um, so that would be some of of the things that, that I would share and, and definitely being being open and vulnerable and accessible to, to have those conversations with students and um, you know sit at a table and I genuinely ask how how can I help you? Um, what do you what do you need? What are the challenges that you're having without coming to the table with with assumptions or your own biases and just you know being being an open state and being someone who's who's open to hear the needs um, and the challenges that that the person you're working with, the student you're working with, may may have, and how, and figure out together what what the the best ways are to connecting that student with the resources, or or you know guiding them on on this journey as as easily as possible for them, and also in a way that not only helps that student grow, but also helps you grow, in in your own you know professional professional journey. And so, um, yeah, that's that's some of the advice that I would have. Love it. Thank you, Johnny. Thank you so much. Kelly? No, well said, Johnny, for sure. I love the, the idea of the layers, right? The concept that there's so much more to a person. That's very well said. For myself, I think I would add that in international ed, we are tasked with doing so many things. And one of the biggest things to think about is that aid is not extra. It's you know included. It's integrated, as I mentioned earlier. One of the phrases that we use at AIFS is an aid practice. So this idea that we are continually working on something so that it's never done, it's just something that we do. And so I, I would suggest that thinking about it in those terms, that it's not something you can check off a list, it's actually going to be undone for a long time. 
And for those achievers out there who love to check things off a list, I'm sorry, but it's got to stay there. You got to rewrite it every day. Um, I also really like to think about challenging people to think beyond, right? So if you're going to use the old improv trick, yes, and. Mm. Um, we were speaking earlier about how we want to move beyond my marketing photos need more diverse students in them. Well, yes, and how does that happen? What does that look like? What else are you doing? Um, thinking about access and things like that. Access does not equal scholarships. That's not the only thing that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. So challenging yourself, your office, your administration, your campus to think beyond scholarships, uh, beyond the money. So what are other things that you could do to increase access? Uh, Maggie, earlier you mentioned processes and there's a new report just out from um, IIE and the AIFS Foundation specific to first-generation college students. And one of the things that the writers spend time on is this idea of demystifying the process. Because as we've discussed even today, being a first-gen student, having parents who have never done this before, maybe not having someone else in your support system who's familiar with navigating the financial aid system or a study abroad application or whatever else is required to go on your different programs or Johnny, those fellowships that you've applied for and received, those are some crazy applications and they require a lot of different pieces. So if somebody is there to demystify those pieces and help to walk through them and takes the time, you know, that also is a point of access. And yes, they might be scholarship applications, but the demystifying of the process is a process. It's yeah. helping someone get from A to Z. And so I think coming into the foundations of study abroad and thinking about what else can be done, this idea of yes and as you continue your aid practice is something that you can continue to think about. It's something that we're thinking about and that I'm thinking about. Thanks, Kelly. Very, very well said. I really appreciate that perspective too on the yes and um, the improv edition. Um, and, you know, I'm, I just think there's just so much that we can keep on working on. And, and those are great places for us to kind of check right now and see where are we with those. Um, so as we as we wrap up for today, I just want to thank both of y'all for being here and being a part of this conversation on being brave um, and trying to navigate making these missteps, doing DEI work and in international ed and um, for sharing your perspectives and your stories. You both have such great stories um, and you have great, um, Kelly, your, your professional experience has been really invaluable here. And Johnny, you have just done so many things and, and um, succeeded in so many different ways and grown from it all. And it's really admirable to watch and to consider, continue to see you grow uh, in your career. I can't wait to see where you get stationed as an FSO. So um, please do stay in touch. And um, you know, I, I just hope that this podcast can help other folks as they're thinking about how to, how, what is their brave and how do they make those missteps and keep going to do the work that we need to do. So thanks so much, Kelly, Johnny. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode in our Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion in the World of Education Abroad podcast series. Once again, for more information on the Forum on Education Abroad, you can visit forumea.org. If you enjoyed the podcast, we would just ask that you subscribe to our channel and leave us a review. Please feel free to connect with us on LinkedIn and let us know what you thought about the episode. Thank you for listening.